Hi, I'm Michael P. Hamans. I'm here to talk to you all about law and society. Lots of society. We're at WCCF News Radio 1580 on the AM dial, 100.9 on the FM dial. And we're out across the World Wide Web on an iHeart platform, WCCFAM.com. And we're at Facebook Live at Michael P. Heyman's page and at Zane Scott Bickerstaff's page. However you got here, thanks for being here. We have a guest, Gene Gorman, this morning. He's going to uh, – this should be a very interesting conversation. So tune in, stay in. Call your friends, tell them to get on, and let's listen and go. This is Extinction's Zoo. Remember the dodo? The passenger pigeon? Makes you think about the condors. Want to save them all from extinction. Like the Carolina parakeet, we're called to the whooping crane. We pray, Lord, I hope all this saving we've started, it's not in vain. We're building a zoo while things are dying. What should we do? We're building a zoo. Build crossings for the panthers. Reintroduce the wolf. Make local grizzly bear parks and near shore waters manatee pools. Put a fence around the wild lands to keep all the people out. Grow smallpox in a petri dish and lock it up in a vault. We're building a zoo While things are dying What should we do? We're building a zoo Save them now Or say I do We're in a time of extinctions It's happened before Ask a saber-toothed tiger, a woolly mammoth, or a dinosaur. And from the cosmic perspective, does it matter at all? Destined for our sun to burn out, season cycle to the fall. is part of nature. We are all part of God. Here we are now acting and being acted upon. We know we ought to tread lightly, dance in time to nature funky. Still eradicate exotics in our guilt that we call weeds. We're building a zoo While things are dying What should we do? We're building a zoo Save them now Or say I do <laughs> We think our wilderness must be managed God's gardeners We assume our role Rank dispersion and displacement It's unacceptable, it's out of control Well, how responsible are we For how we change what we do not control I think the strength of our efforts sometimes Is the weakness in our results We're building a zoo We're building cages for them or me and you. Very good. Yeah, thank you, Gene. I read, you know, like 
uh, I read a book by David Quammen called uh, Song of the Dodo, subtitled Island Biogeography in the Time of Extinctions. And it was just a romp through, uh, through uh, science, uh, the history of science, and, uh, and where it's come from Darwin and, and Wallace to current day and, uh, and talked about the things that we're doing to ourselves. It doesn't give answers. It just says, this is, hey, pay attention. This looks like what we've been doing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, and so, as a result of that, I end up uh, writing a song, and it sort of fit with the concept of uh, of uh, what are we doing ourselves in society, which this radio show is so generally about. Talk about competing values right, and that kind right. of thing. So, uh, thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. You, uh, your <coughs> company has been a sponsor of the show for. For many years, and I thank you for that. You know, uh, and I've been very close to your family over the years. Dylan, my son, and Chad were uh, closest buddies uh, coming up through uh, middle school and high school, and on to college. Went at the University of Florida at the same time, and those kinds of things. And now Owen is my next door neighbor. Your other son, <laughs> uh, one of your other sons, is the next door neighbor, and uh, and that's been a, a lovely. Uh, Made for a lovely neighborhood, I have to tell you. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I know a little bit about some of the ads that you do, but some of the things that people uh, get to see as they drive around, everybody gets to see the billboards and the signs. I'd give them away, but my wife won't let me. I'd yeah. fix them for free, but my wife won't let me. That's because they're a family-owned and operated right. business. Right. 27 years now as uh, number one independent yeah, 20, volume. 28. Yeah. 28 years as Charlotte County's number one volume independent used car dealer. That's a fact, not an opinion. Yeah. And you all have three places. You have the Family Motors in uh, Charlotte Harbor. Right. Premier Motors there in Punta Gorda, across from Punta Gorda Police Department. And Gene's Dirt Cheap Cars just south of Acquiesta. Right. Right near the liquor store, we like to say. <laughs> you get to Gene's South Lot. Right before you get to the liquor store. There you uh, go. Kind of like next door to Goodyear, basically, on 41. Right, exactly. And uh, all of the vehicles come with <clears> a, <throat> a, a certification and a nationwide warranty. Right. And uh, and you've turned it mostly over to Owen these days, somewhat. Right. Mostly, is that right? He's the vice president and general manager. Of operations. Of yeah. operations. Yeah, and, and well, he's, the reality is he's smarter than me. And uh, that's uh, uh, that's the fact of life. And this this generation now, you know, you've got to be tuned in to all of the uh, uh, internet, uh, social media stuff as far as oftentimes advertising and communications and what have you. A lot of our business comes from uh, from the internet, and uh, so he's he's more tuned in on that stuff than me. Uh, at the same time, I'm the uh, I had to get a title. My CPA said, we need to give you a title because you're a corporation. And I said, uh, well, I don't, you know, I've never been one for titles. The only title I had really that meant anything to me was a sergeant in the Marine Corps when I was in Vietnam. But that, that was the only thing that almost got me killed. But he said, well, we've got to give you a title. I said, well, what do you recommend? He said, well, how about, uh, how about CEO? I said, the CEO. Now, I said, well, what exactly does a CEO do? He said, well, he, he, doesn't, he, he doesn't do much. I said, okay, I can do that. <laughs> so, so I became the CEO, and the guy that, that does all the work uh, is uh, Owen. He's our vice president of operations, and of course Diane is our comptroller. Yeah, your which, wife. Which makes the which makes the slogan all that more realistic, right? Because uh, when we said uh, uh, I'd give them away, but my wife won't let me. Yeah, she's the comptroller. She's the comptroller, and of course we're a family-owned business, so we're all local, and of course all the kids that. Owen and Chad went to school with here at Charlotte High School. Uh, they all knew them, and they said, "Oh, your dad is one that give get your mom to give me a car." And and uh, truth be known, Diane may be the most generous person I've ever seen in my life. All you got to be is a wayward soul that doesn't have anything, and next thing you know, I'll be looking at the P and L at the end of the month. I'll be saying, "Tell me about this uh, seven thousand uh, dollar charitable donation." What was that? She'll say, "Oh, you you remember that woman." who uh, had the two little kids and her husband uh, no longer was around. And uh, and I go, oh, okay, I don't need yeah. to know anymore about it. Got it. it. So, yeah. so she's a generous and certainly a, a loving soul and a brilliant comptroller, too. So, so, Me, I'm the most expendable guy I can hold. 
You know the truth about it. So in the uh, back in the high <clears throat> school when Dylan and Chad were in high, I think Chad did a juggling uh, oh, yeah. uh, ad that uh, that y'all put on TV and such as, uh, yeah. and so everybody participates in these uh, in the ads and the and the juices that think up these kinds of yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. Well, and Chad okay. was. Chad, who is now a doctor, right? Uh, doctor uh, ortho- Chad Gorman, orthopedic doctor in uh, in Tampa. Uh, uh, he was a in high school. He was a wrestler, a good wrestler, too, very good. As wrestler. was your son. Uh, he went on to become uh, Chad did an All American uh, at the national uh, high school tournament, and that was kind of cool because I had a chance to go up there and see that. But his real claim to fame in high school was he was he was a juggler, right? And uh, he could juggle fire, and they used to have to make him do it outside the building and have the fire truck there. It was kind of wild, but uh, he would do all of that cool stuff. And uh, mm-hmm. always had great hand and eye coordination. And uh, as with most doctors, has got horrible handwriting. So, you know, you get, it's a lefty, and you can't ever tell what the heck's going on with what he was writing. But uh, uh, they, they've all been involved in our business one way or the other. Yeah. And, uh, so who came up with, I'd give them away, but my wife won't let me. Well, actually, that was uh, that was my uh, my claim to fame, if you will. But the reality was, I got it from a guy in California named Madman Munts. Uh, he was in California. He used to sell appliances, and he would take one of those planes that you fly over the beachfront, and have a tag on the back of it that would say, uh, "I'd give him away, but my wife won't let me. She must be crazy." That was that was what his tag said, and I thought that was so cool. And, of course, when we opened up our business in 95, uh, I thought, you know, I'm going to use that. That's a great, that's a great, great little tag because of the fact uh, we're a family business and we're yeah. all involved. Right. And, um, you know, we decided early on uh, I'm going to put my name up there and I'm going to put my picture up there because when people are shopping for a car, uh, that's not generally the most exciting and positive thing they want to do. Uh, they're a little nervous about that sometimes. And I want them to know right from the beginning that – if you have any problem, or you have a question, there's the guy. That's his name. And there's his picture. That's what he looks like. There was no, and I'm not necessarily so vain I want my picture all over town, but it's up there to let people know that there is a live person. There's, there's accountability in this uh, operation. And, uh, you know, uh, it's the people make jokes about that, about uh, used car salesmen not being uh, reliable, not being trustworthy. And you, so you have a step against that that you're already having to reach out. Uh, yeah, we, we, we try to overcome that. You know, I've been very, very fortunate. I've got great people that have been with me for many, many years. I mean, each one of my sales managers for each of our three locations have been with me for over 15 years. That's almost unheard of in the car business. And uh, our service manager uh, in our uh, Punta Gorda service department, is, uh, he's been with me for over 15 years. And one of our uh, accounts receivable and payable girls, Elle, has been with us for over 20 years. So, you know, that's, that's a very and, – and I guess that's my greatest uh, concern is that our people are taken care of mm-hmm. and that they're treated with dignity and respect. And they're held accountable. No, no, no second guessing about that. They're all held accountable. And one thing I learned early on is that uh, it's more important to people that work for you to know where you stand than it is to necessarily like where you stand. Because everybody's going to have a different opinion about where, the way we might stand on something. But what makes them feel secure is they know that we're going to stand for what we believe in. And then they feel secure and know that we're going to respect their ability to take a stand for what they believe in. But we're going to go by what we believe in when it comes to running the business. And, and it's held us in good stead, too. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I uh, acquired a couple of vehicles uh, from your company. The uh, From Dirt Cheap Cars, We uh, when my buddy Parks Reese, who's also a sponsor of this show, out in Livingston, Montana, he comes and visits me sometimes. And he's a fabulous painter and I uh, was well-known around the world, really. I've traveled with him in China back in 2018, and he, uh, he'd been six years going to China that, uh, and had – there were 90 billboards with his art uh, on it in Shanghai. 
uh, his heart and face and name about his. But anyway, he came and we were uh, acquiring some of the stuffed animals. If you see in my office, there's uh, some uh, stuffed animals in the window. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't shoot those. I bought them from a, a, a museum that was going out of the stuffed animal business. And but there was a number of them at the time, and so I let Parks know about it. And he came. He ended up buying a bear, uh, a couple of cats. Uh, I mean, big cats, and he uh, and we needed to get them back to. So we flew here to buy them, took possession of them, and we went out to uh, Gene's dirt cheap cars and bought a van for him to take them back in. And so then he road trip with them in the vehicle. Of course, the the bears and the cats are looking out the windows <laughs> and stuff. And so they're they're looking like uh, some kind of uh, traveling uh, circus as right. he uh, tra- as he going across. But he got there and then. Sold the vehicle, uh, you know, recouped his his money for that. That's actually not a bad way to do it if you travel is buy a vehicle and then sell oh, it yeah. to the place where yeah. you when you get there. Kind of. So we did that, and Diane was, uh, did the paperwork and did all that as we did that. And then the other one, I have to tell you that uh, Owen, they tried to talk me out of buying the car because it's old model, five hundred SL. Mercedes, and they break continuously. All the uh, the hydraulic uh, everything's on them are just miserable. And uh, and but we test drove one, and Owen's oh, that's like cringing. I don't really want you to buy this right. car because as soon as it starts breaking down, which it will, you're going to be upset with me. Well, Don. Uh, we ended up changing that car out within a month because it got she crashed it, uh, and we. And, but she loved the car so much that I said, "If you can find another one for the same price," and so we found one elsewhere. And so Owen felt relieved; he's off the hook with, right. his, with the car. But really and truly, he tried to talk me out of buying right. that vehicle. Well, we sometimes we'll do that. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes we will. In fact. Uh, one of our latest ads that uh, will be a TV ad that's hitting uh, about now. We, we made some new ads here at the first of the year. One of our ads relates to our uh, South Lot, which was formerly Gene Gorman's Dirt Cheap Cars. Oh, then you just call it South Lot we now? We call it Gene okay. South Lot now. But that was the original location. Okay. And uh, we talk about how at that lot, because we do tend to get uh, a lot of really inexpensive cars, oftentimes trade-ins. And every now and then we'll get a car that we trade in that we really – can't put a warranty on. I mean, it's got to be sold as is because it's like that old raggedy Mercedes you had. And we, we encourage people, take it to your mechanic. We don't really want – we usually take them to an old auction, but take it to your mechanic and see if, you know, what do you think about it? Because when you buy this one, it's going to be sold to you as is. Right. And uh, that's the same location. And some people just say they, they know the facts. They know the rules. They say, okay, I want it anyway. So we'll sell it to them, and as is always the case – if they have any kind of a problem, we want everybody happy. We we tell you a hundred percent happy customer. Bring it back, and if you bring it back, we'll trade it back in, and we'll sell you something else. You know, because yeah. we want you, we want you to be happy. That's the name of the game at our business. But in that south lot now, we do an awful lot of what they call in-house financing, and in-house financing, or sometimes referred to as buy here, pay here. Right. Buy here, die here is what they call sometimes. it. Well, yeah. those are people oftentimes <laughs> that uh, don't have credit problems. They may have had a medical problem that has caused them to be put in a position where they uh, they can't buy something new. Uh, they may have had a problem with their credit where they couldn't pay their bills because of some extenuating circumstances, not unlike mine as a young man, when my extenuating circumstances meant I stayed drunk too much and I didn't pay my bills. And I, you know, so that was reality. And sometimes people bounce back from that and we give them, we're real open to giving them another chance. Right. And, uh, and we, and we do a lot of that for people who've had problems in the past for whatever reason. And, uh, so in our, in our most recent advertisement, Owen is saying, so you mean to tell me pop that we're going to, we will do a buy here, pay here car for somebody, uh, who uh, one of our nice cars uh, with just a little bit of money down, and we'll finance these people even though they've had credit problems in the past. I said, that's right, that's right. So he will then say, all right, Gene Gorman's Auto Sales, you can buy a car, one of our nice cars, 
even if you've had credit problems in the past, as long as you don't pay, unless you don't pay anybody. <laughs> and that's what Owen's tag is on that ad, because I'm saying, yeah, let everybody buy a car, you know. And Owen says, he's the, he's the vice president. He's held accountable for the, the results of the business each month. And he'll say, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> unless you don't pay anybody. If you don't pay anybody, feel free to go to the competition. Right. But if, you, if you're changing your life and you want another chance, we're the place to help you get that chance. Yeah. So the uh, that additional chances, that's an important part of your uh, uh, experience in life, as I understand it. You, you've got a, a book that you put out. You've got two of them here, and thank you for the action versus reaction management. That's your latest one. But You Had to Be There is a book that uh, that you wrote, I guess, a few years ago now. You, yeah. You were on the first first put it together, I recall, and the uh, and it's the story of uh, your life from the jungles of Vietnam to psychiatric hospitals mm-hmm. to the boardrooms of corporate America. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell, tell me about that a little bit. How did you go so low and come back so with such a lion's roar? How, how do you do that? Well, it's a great question, and, and it certainly was not done alone. I've had uh, I've been very fortunate to have a lot of people, good people, uh, smarter than me people, put into my life. <clears throat> you know, I reached a point uh, when I got home from Vietnam as a young Marine. Uh, I was I was pretty screwed up, as were many of us that came back. And uh, was that because of your experiences of killing people or having your buddies killed around you? What? It, it, well, there was there was a number of those kind of experiences when you're in a combat situation. I was in the infantry, and I was a sergeant. I was a squad leader in the infantry, and so and we were in combat uh, zones all the time. But um, I had one particular situation where a good friend of mine had, uh, uh, in fact, he was my point man. I say a good friend of mine; he was the best point man I ever saw, and he was leading us up this jungle mountain and. He spotted an enemy, enemy machine gunner, and this is covered in the book, I think. And he spotted the enemy machine gunner, and he pushed me out of the way. And when he did, it put him in harm's way. And he took three shots to the head, and that was that. And, uh, of course, then, you know, uh, uh, I stood there frozen looking at him. And that was a, had a, a huge experience on me, and, and, and it never left me. And uh, when I ended up coming home, from Vietnam, and uh, I was hospitalized uh, uh, when I first got home. Uh, that lingered in my brain a lot, and, uh, and of course, then I set out about uh, staying drunk for about seven years. I was on the street, basically, just running wide open, uh, armed with those kind of PTSD issues. But in those days, they didn't call it PTSD. Just came home crazy. That's exactly right. And my friends would say that. Poor Gene, he got home from Vietnam, Vietnam and he's been drunk and crazy for seven years. And they were right, too. I was. And, uh, of course, you know, I went through a marriage and divorce and bankrupt and all of this other stuff that goes with that kind of living and ended up on the street and uh, basically living in a laundromat uh, by uh, uh, December of 1975. That's where I was. And, uh, and I was only 29 years old. But I was armed with all of that insanity and memories and what have you. And I used to, my heroes became uh, the boys of the night. Uh, you know, the other bums and winos that were living on the street. Guys with nicknames like Skilly Fry and High Test and Mumbles. And a guy I used to call Dead Fred. These were all the guys who just hung around, mm-hmm. drinking and, and uh, not doing anything else. But just realizing their lot in life was that they just didn't seem to fit. And they couldn't make it. Now, some of them were uh, just wanted to be free to drink. I always tell people, you know, we were all volunteers that were hanging out in that laundromat. None of us had been sentenced to the laundromat. Right. We were there by choice because we couldn't, whatever we needed to do to feel like we were able to be part of society, we couldn't do it for whatever reason. You know, mine was uh, I had to drink and I couldn't work because I had to drink. And I couldn't work, so I didn't have any money, so I would have to, literally go around and steal bottles of wine from places and uh, uh, try to keep myself in some sort of a state of uh, inebriation, you know. And and then, as fate would have it, in the, uh, uh, by October of 76, uh, in that span of time, I had started experiencing convulsions and DTs and 
all of the things that go with an alcoholic. And I reached a point uh, that I uh, reached out for help. And, and I accepted the fact that if I was going to have any kind of a life, I was going to have to find a way to not drink. Because I knew once I took a drink, the drink took me. Yeah. And then pretty soon the drink was taking the drink, and I was just chasing the drink around. And, and that was the way it is. And, of course, you know, a lot of people got hurt. When, you're in a, when you've got a family, and I had a, a wife, and I had a daughter, and I had a son that had just been born, and here I was abandoning them and living on the street just so I could drink. And, and it all made sense to me. But the guilt and the shame will catch up to you. Yeah. And that's what happens. Yeah. And then when the drinking quits working, then you're just left with the guilt and the shame. And, so, and you're left with the voices from Vietnam or wherever other form of PTSD you might have encountered in your life, whether it was from your own childhood, or which a lot of that goes on too, or from combat experiences. And, uh, so I reached out for help. And what I did, uh, uh, I reached out to one of the 12-step programs. I won't mention only because I don't uh, want to break the traditions of the 12-step programs, but uh, the reality is if I were to get drunk, even after 47 years of not drinking, if I were to suddenly get drunk, Somebody might think that 12-step programs doesn't, don't work. That's why we don't mention the name of them. Mm-hmm. Because we're all, all of us in recovery from addiction, we're only in recovery one day at a time. And even though it's been a lot of one day at a time, yeah. I know if I quit doing the things I need to do that I'm uh, subject to going back out. And that's been many years. So, so, so a- as you come to that realization, one of the ways that I have seen uh, uh, you have a, a reputation for being uh, helpful in the recovery community around here. My secretary and her boyfriend are deeply involved in uh, recovery uh, culture. And one of the things that it appears to me is that one of the ways to save yourself is to help, is to be the help for someone else. Right. In fact, that is, that is the key. That's how the most dominant recovery program started. One guy that was uh, had gotten sober, uh, reaching out to help another person, <clears throat> and these were not street people. This guy, the one guy, was a doctor. He reached out to help a doctor, and and those two were the ones that uh, uh, started the twelve step recovery programs. And then off of that program, many many programs have, have developed. But uh, uh, that that is so key, and, and one of the great gifts of that is, as you help others automatically it helps you and people are attracted to you and people come to you and uh, they start trusting you. And uh, I think that was, uh, oftentimes Owen will ask me uh, early on in our business relationship, uh, once he finished college and he would come to me, he knew he was going to run the organization. He would say to me sometimes, you know, it's not fair, Dad, because of uh, uh, what you've been through in your life because he said no one, no one can come up with any excuses. You know, people aren't coming and saying, hey, I can't do this because. He said, because the, the dealer, the owner of the business, he lived on the street. So he don't want to hear any excuses. Right. He wants you to stay positive and do the best you can every day. And, and if you have a problem with some sort of a addiction or psychological problem or what have you, we're here to help you. As long as you're willing to get help, mm-hmm. we're going to help you. But if you're not willing, we're going to let you go your own way. Well, it, it, that, there is a tough love to that that goes along with it because there is a required accountability and, and holding to a standard. And, and if you're soft on that, then all of a sudden, you know, what else are you soft on? How, how does that really work? Right. It doesn't work. Yeah. <clears throat> the reality is if, if I'm going to put up with somebody's behavior that is really unacceptable, but I'm going to keep putting up with it under the guys that is going to suddenly change for no apparent reason, just to wake up one morning and you're going to be uh, risen to new heights and change your life without reaching a bottom and, and uh, reaching out for help yourself, then what's going to happen is I'm going to get crazy because you're not taking care of yourself. Right. And, and oftentimes I get crazy and <laughs> you're, 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 you're staying half lit or drunk all the time, so you're not even going through You don't it. even care. Yeah, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm going. I'm now suffering in, in, in fact, uh, that's right. And uh, we have some experience along that line, too. And uh, um, So 
it's been very fortunate, you know, and, and I, I know this. I know having faith in God that I have, and I'm not a real religious person, but I do have a strong belief in God. And I know that if, if I show up every day where I'm supposed to be and do the best I can do, that if I have any talent, God is going to allow that to flourish. And so in my particular case, I found out that I was pretty good. I had a pretty good gift to gab. And I found out I was pretty good at selling because I'd started selling when I was just a young boy. Door to door magazines, I think, started when I was eight years old. That's a chapter in the book, you know, because we didn't have no money. Right. We had six kids. Dad was a Navy guy, always gone, and uh, we needed some money. So I started selling Christmas cards door to door. And uh, all I knew is that uh, I'd get 10 cents if they bought this box of cards. And that was in, that was a long time ago. Yeah. Ten cents meant a lot to a little eight year old kid like me. Sure it did. But as as fate would have it, I found out later on in life I was pretty good at the selling stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, the, we're going to get back with you here in just a second. Let's take a little musical break. We had a great uh, uh, adventure this past weekend. We had Dexter Payne from uh, Boulder, Colorado, uh, here in town. And his uh, traveling buddy for just a couple of uh, days, uh, John Long, and uh, they don't have a a, a recording of them together, Delta Blues, along with the horn, but I do have Barbecue Bob, who had uh, introduced John Long and Dexter Payne years and years ago, back in the 70s. And we've got a, a... a little bit fitting with the theme. This one's called Can't Get That Stuff No More. Bootleg salad used to live across town. The law came along and then they shut her down. Now you can't get the stuff no more. Can't get the stuff no more. No matter how you try, you can't buy, you can't get that stuff no more. I know a spot up on Melvina Hill, the law came along and took the liquor still now. You can't get the stuff no more, can't get the stuff no more. No matter how you try, you can't buy, you can't get that stuff no more. She used to sell hair grease Got herself in trouble with the cheap police Now you can't get the stuff no more Can't get the stuff no more No matter how you try You can't buy You can't get that stuff no more well, Here comes Joe with a great big knife Somebody's messing around with his wife Now you can't get the stuff no more Can't get the stuff no more No matter how you try You can't buy You can't get that stuff no more That was Barbecue Bob and Dexter Payne, and he can't get that stuff no more. Uh, and uh, it's, we're here with Gene Gorman. Uh, I've already told you a little bit about Gene's uh, uh, company. Let me tell you a little bit more about Parks Reese. His name P-A-R-K-S-R-E-E-C-E, and he's in Livingston, Montana. His artwork is fabulous. Go take a look at it. Uh, you'll, um, you'll love his use and uh, control of col- color. 
his images and spaces. His uh, he actually he believes that a painter also ought to be able to draw, and so he's got a very good uh, artistic uh, uh, drawing port portion of it all, and uh, and he uses humor to uh, emphasize the things that he's uh, trying to communicate about, and he uh, and some of it you'll laugh just laugh out loud knee slap and laugh out loud when you're looking at it. so take a look at parks reese stuff also boca grand marina is a sponsor of this show mm. uh boca grand marina and beautiful boca grand on gasparilla island uh to get there by boat you'd go in that south entrance of the bayou and then turn south into the yacht basin it's uh been redug to minus seven feet the way it was when it was initially dug back in the 1920s uh the uh, the refurbished marina has a dock master's office there that commands the base and helps you tie up safely. Fuel docks open from eight in the morning to five in the evening, seven days a week all year round. If the fuel docks open, so is the ship store where you can get bait and tackle, sundries, those kinds of things. Uh, some memento of your visit there, kind of stuff. You can rent a golf cart and tool around the rest of the island. Make sure you're back 11:30 on. It's uh, Miller's Dockside. It's cold beer, full bar, delicious food. Uh, friendly service, beautiful setting overlooking the marina and Gasparilla Sound. Eagle's Grill is open upstairs for fine dining in the evenings. Uh, so whether you get there by float seaplane like Captain Mark Futch used to do, or you come by boat or car or golf cart, bicycle, run, walk, crawl to Boca Grand Marina, they'll be happy to see you and you'll be delighted to be there. Uh, weather so nice, want to go to the park. Grilled onions and peppers in the air. Umbrella in a cart, hot dog in the park, enjoy the repast. It's, it's a hot dog day. day. Every nice day is a hot dog day at Ponce Leon Park and Gilchrist Park in Punta Gorda. They have uh, sabret all-beef hot dogs on a Martin potato roll. Also have uh, sweet Italian sausage, Polish sausage, uh, every kind of condiment that you can think of. You can have one. Some of the traditional ones, the Coney dogs, the uh, Chicago dog. Carolina dog, that's one of my favorites. The, uh, but you can have it your own way, however you want uh, it made. And um, so go and support them. You can always find out whether they're going to be open, whether it's a, you know, it's weather dependent. I used to say whether Don wanted to go to work or not. But the, uh, <laughs> but, but it's weather dependent. Uh, they're in the, uh, nobody wants to eat a hot dog in the middle of the blazing uh, summer. And, uh, and when it's cold, we just call it a, a snow day. So uh, so you can find out if they're going to be open by checking in on Don's website, Don Hamans, and you can uh, at uh, on Facebook. And just drive by the park. It's beautiful. Have yourself a delicious meal for a reasonable price in a gorgeous setting. Michael P. Hamans, attorney at law. I practice a general practice with a concentration on land use and environmental law. Located at 215 West Olympia in downtown Punta Gorda. Uh, on the co- corner of Sullivan and West Olympia, the uh, my secretary Lori has been. We've been together for 24 years, mm-hmm. and so give us a call uh, at nine four one five seven five triple oh seven. You can remember it easily five seven five triple oh seven. Used to be double oh seven, but I got a promotion. Now I'm triple oh seven. The uh, <clears throat> and give us a call if we can't help you. We'll try to get you to someone who can. So. Uh, Tell us about action versus reaction management for just a minute, because I hadn't seen this book uh, before. And w- what was your purpose in writing this part of it all? Well, many, many times, guys that, uh, you know, we've been fortunate enough to have been the number one independent dealer for many, many years. So a lot of my peers would say, uh, what kind of system do you have? How do you do this? That was, and I would always tell them it's a, it's a system of accountability. And uh, I taught that around the country. In fact, that's how I ended up in, in Punta Gorda in Charlotte County. And one of my clients was Palm Automotive, which is now called Gettle, right. but it was Palm Automotive then. And I used to teach a sales and management program uh, around the United States. And uh, they were at a Chevrolet uh, seminar that I was doing over in West Palm uh, back in 93, I think, 92. And uh, I gave this presentation on my program, which is called The Winning Edge. And uh, they saw it, and their general sales manager at the time came up to me and said, hey, uh, 
uh, Mickey would like to talk to you. Mickey was the I general remember Mickey. Remember Mickey? Yeah. And Mickey was a hardcore, hard-charging guy. Very good, or very well. McHale or something. Mickey McHale. Yeah. Very well organized guy. Uh, in fact, taught me a lot. I'll get back to that in a little bit. But uh, but uh, people skills were, uh, I think, lacking a little bit in, in the other areas of the business. And uh, a lot of people misread people skills as being you got to treat everybody that works for you great, which is really nice. But more important, you treat them respectful with dignity and hold them accountable to do the things they're supposed to do. What makes them feel great is that they're being held accountable and they do the things you're supposed to do. Not unlike what I mentioned before about uh, just just dealing with children. Right. Uh, more important that they know where you stand than, they ne- than that they necessarily like where you stand. Exactly. I, that's a good point. Yeah, because what makes them feel secure is the knowledge that you're going to stand for what you believe is right. They might not even agree with you. And in fact, you might even be wrong, but the fact of the matter is you're standing for what you believe is right. And so when it came to training people, or all started off with my own uh, experience at sales and then managing a dealership myself. And I found out that my system was working pretty good. And so I was encouraged by my dealer at the time to teach that around the country. And so I, I you know, I'm a little hesitant because it meant I was going to have to give up where I was working in Virginia at the time. And uh, uh, But he encouraged me to do that. And so I put the system together, and I started traveling around the country teaching it. And what what was important was that the people I was teaching it to needed to understand that they needed to take action and have a plan when they came to work each day. When you come to work each day, you got to have a plan of action. Because if you don't have a plan of action that you're going to do each day, then you're going to have to show up and then start reacting to things. And the fact of the matter is most of the things you're reacting to if you had a plan of action each day, it would have already been taken care of. So I decided to put that into a form of uh, teaching sales and uh, sales management people, how to show up each day with a plan. And uh, it's really not that difficult. And that's what we do in our business. I think people say, how oh, have you been fortunate enough to have been uh, in the uh, position of being number one for so many years? And I tell them oftentimes it's because we show up every day and everybody has a plan, and they got to work the plan. And if they don't work the plan, we either got to train them again properly, or they got to go somewhere else and not work their plan. But if you're gonna if you're gonna work here, you got to work the plan because we know that if you work the plan, the results are going to be positive for you. That's just the way it is. And so, as always, when they show up and they know that where they're going to work, they have a plan. Then they start feeling secure, and that's why they stay with us so long. So, th- so this is applicable to every kind of business, not just the sale of cars. Absolutely. In fact, that's mentioned in that book, Action versus Reaction Management. It's the key to success in running a business, basically. Yeah. And it's a simple matter. You know, every business will create their own uh, set of things they need to do daily, weekly, and monthly. This is what you have to do. This is your plan. Well, obviously, somebody who's selling stocks, selling stocks and bonds – uh, may not have the same things that they have to do daily, weekly, and monthly as somebody who's selling cars, but there are certain things they have to do daily, weekly, and monthly, and they have to be willing to be, they have to be willing to be held accountable to do those things. So these are the important structural parts of how to do them. So I I I had in my mind's eye that oh the probably the most important part of uh, selling used cars is acquiring the right used cars at the right price, understanding what the market was and 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 not getting uh, strung out on things that weren't going to work or having paid too much for something so that it didn't. That's an important component, but that's just a component of how the whole thing works. Right. Well, the fact of the matter is, and you'll, you'll if you've ever bought a car from us and talked to one of our salespeople, and I know you have, you will see that they've been taught what to say. They've been taught the flow of how to sell a car. And then our managers have been taught what to say and to do with the salespeople, what they hold to hold them accountable to do it. And one of the great lines that we teach our salespeople, because everybody comes in, they don't want to get ripped off when they're buying a car, and I understand that. I mean, in fact, when we buy cars at auctions, we don't want to get ripped, get ripped off, off either. Right. You know. So the part you just mentioned is very important, the way we buy it how strategic we are in buying it. We buy a lot of cars from private owners. And uh, the way we do that is real important as to the profitability of the sale we make. But 
the sale's not going to be made unless the salesperson handles the rest of that properly. And so when we talk to people, sometimes they'll walk in and they'll say to us, what's your best price on this car? You hear that all the time, right? And we will say, rather than come up with some arbitrary figure that we may or may not be able to hit, we will just tell them simply, well, I don't really know. But if I can make the figures be what you want them to be, could we earn your business? And what we're really doing is letting, reminding them that they're going to be in control. They're going to be in control. You know, no one's going to force you to buy something and pay too much that you don't want to buy and that you don't want to pay for. Right. But we have to remind them that they're going to be in control. And that kind of settles them down a little bit. So, oh, yeah, well, sometimes their response will be, well, yeah, but I haven't even seen any figures yet. And we say, well, let's take a ride in this thing first to see if you like it. Yeah. You know, let's see if you like it. And if you like it, then we'll, try, we'll, to make, we'll try to make the figures be what you want them to be. And uh, it's, it's all a simple matter of training our people to ask those kind of questions that are designed psychologically to make the customer know they're not going to be held a victim by us. You know, this is the way we do business. We just try to make it be what you want it to be. And that's the bottom line, the way it works. So, and you'll hear that a lot. So we gotta, but you've got to teach that because even new salespeople that come apply for a job with us, they usually come from someplace where they weren't doing it right. And we tell them up front, we say, well, we already know that you came from someplace where something was wrong. And it might have been them or it might have been you. We don't know. But if you check out on our little scale we use to see if you'll fit our mode, you need to know that we're going to pump you up and tell you how great you are, but you're going to be held accountable to do certain things on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis. So bearing that in mind, do you think this might be where you want to be? And if they respond correctly and they check out, we do our own little vetting process, and they check out, then uh, we'll bring them on board. And same thing is true of our managers. But our managers have been with us so long, we don't have to change managers very often. So. Yeah, that's, that's an important, that longevity of, uh, oh, yeah. just like I said, my secretary has been with me for 24 years. It makes you feel good, too. Yeah. That, that makes me feel great when I know. Yeah. You know in fact, when we talk about Maybe one of our stores will uh, not be doing things the way we think that they should be doing, and we will take it very seriously because we're going to nip that in the bud right away. That's what the daily, weekly, and monthly accountability things do. But Owen and I will talk about it, and we don't want to have to make a change. You know, we don't want to make a change because it's, it's a great source of feel-good for us to know our people have been with us a long time. And we don't want to disrupt their lives, you know. I mean, that's the hardest it, thing it, in the world. It becomes uh, you're part of the – they're part of the community of business. Fam- you know, sometimes it gets used a little bit too much in our family of business. You know, yes, you've got a family. Everybody else is, works with you and our right. friends and our, our compatriots and, right. and colleagues. Uh, some of the, Sometimes the, the friend – uh, family, the family of uh, business gets a little bit overused uh, at times. Right. Well, you know, you got to be careful how you say that. I mean, the Corleones were a family too, but uh, right. as right. is portrayed. But so you, not only do you have the structure that you do, you're out there in front of the community, uh, supporting what you believe in in the community. And one of those things has been uh, youth athletics. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the, uh, there's a wrestling tournament that uh, that y'all sponsor. It's mm-hmm. uh, a named event. There's uh, uh, other sports that you uh, – that Volleyball you, tournament. Volleyball Girls tournament. Volleyball tournament. Uh-huh. The, uh, Charlotte High has this big, long tradition, and we were fortunate enough to have your kids uh, in Charlotte High. I went to Charlotte High. Uh, try to stay involved. Uh, in, and I live in my hometown, and so – and so it's easy for me and sort of easier for you because your kids went to school here. But how do you choose what of these uh, uh, community events to participate in with your money and, and your energy? How do, you, how do you make those decisions? Uh, a great question. Initially, uh, we took a look at uh, what sports were getting the least funding from the athletic department of the school. The ones that generate the most revenue get the most funding, obviously. Right. 
And so that's why you always have kids going out trying to collect money for the uniforms, for the, uh, for the uh, jerseys, for the, uh, the, the necessary needs of a wrestling uh, and volleyball tournament. And those were the two sports that got the least funding. So we decided that we would focus on those two sports. And the idea was if we can draw enough attention to the, uh, the boys' volleyball team, I mean, the boys' wrestling team and the girls' volleyball team, uh, that we would be able to draw and attract some college uh, scouts there to maybe get them some scholarships if they were good athletes and if they were good student athletes, too. Mm-hmm. So that's where we focused our energy. And we try to have, we have an invitational volleyball tournament for the girls. We try to invite the best schools from around and attract local college uh, uh, coaches to, to come watch those schools. Those kids play volleyball, whether it's from Charlotte, Port Charlotte, or any other surrounding school, uh, Venice. These are good schools with good teams and good programs. We want to see those kids get looked at by college coaches. Right. Same thing is true with wrestling. You know, now we've got girls involved in wrestling. Right. And so they're starting to get some attention too. But uh, we'll be that'll be a, a low-funded kind of a deal. But we'll be feeding into that program as well. And we do support the football team too. You know, we we. Feature our logo on the scoreboard, right. which is a, a bit ego feeding, but we also treat the team to to a lunch before a game each year, and uh, mm-hmm. so we, we just try to give back, Mike. That's the whole deal. You know, we owe them a lot, and it's important for us to let the next generation know that we're we're there for them, and yeah. we try to do that. That's uh, <clears throat> wrestling becomes comes easy for you. I know that you had a son who was a national uh, contender, or yeah. isn't that right? Yeah. That was Chad. Uh, yeah, Did, didn't you have a uh, uh, from your uh, first family? Didn't you have a uh, someone who was a wrestler? I did. In fact, he was an All American too. Yeah, and uh, and he lives here. He lives here in Charlotte County as well. Oh, is that right? Yeah, he was a he was a, a tremendous athlete. He was a he was an All American as a sophomore mm-hmm. in the national tournament. He was really really a, a prodigy, if you will. Sure. Okay. And Chad. Uh, Chad, of course, he went on. If you were to ask Chad, who's now this orthopedic doctor in Tampa, uh, if you were to say, what was the thing that got you through the tough part of medical school? Because some of those things were really tough. And he would say the discipline I learned wrestling. Yeah, He, he, he was a very good wrestler. I've, uh, As a matter of fact, we have tussled since he's uh, uh, been an adult. And... Uh, and I mean, I still put my hands. You were a good wrestler too, I, if my memory serves me correctly. But uh, but Chad, he he caught me actually uh, uh, <laughs> as we were uh, doing. It. So he's yes, he's still uh, on top of it all. I've gone and seen uh, Chad. He helped me with a shoulder that I had. I did. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, he's he's, he's I, a good doctor too. So. Yeah, yeah. So we've been uh we're we're just about out of here out of time uh gene thank you for being here being a guest Thanks, uh, buddy. it i uh very much appreciate seeing you out and about in the community You're always uh, uh uh warm and inviting and uh it's it's always a good thing and i like i say i keep up with you a little bit through the recovery uh, uh community and uh, know the good work that you do in that, and uh, you have a really good reputation as, as a helpful person, uh, a guide to people about that. So uh, thanks for helping us build this zoo, however you got here, Facebook, uh, iHeart uh, Media, WCCFAM.com, or on our local listening area. Uh, Shout-outs to everybody out there around the world that pays attention to us. Uh, Thank you for the love. Thank you for the attention. And we're going to get out of here on the drums. And we'll see you on the radio next week.